If you're living in Colorado and you are craving some good old Southern barbecue, be sure to give Moe's Original Barbecue a try. My favorite thing about Moe's Original Barbecue is we are a Southern soul food revival. We make everything from scratch daily, house-made smoked meats, and customer service to the next level. That was Robbie Peoples, one of the managers over at Moe's Original Barbecue. And like he mentioned, they have incredible food, awesome customer service, and I think my favorite part is how cool the environment is in both of their locations. We have live music at Moe's at our south location, 3295 South Broadway, which is a full PA system, ticket sales. Uh, we have national bands, we have local bands. If you're a local band interested in playing, feel free to contact us at mosdenver.com. We would love to have you come down and play for a big old party at Mo's Original Barbecue. Not only do they have live music, but they also have a bowling alley and a dozen TVs with all of your favorite games on. They have two locations, one in downtown Denver off Broadway and 6th, and of course the other one that Robbie mentioned in Inglewood. I would recommend some Mo's to someone because we cater to all needs, a family-friendly atmosphere. We have Colorado beers on tap, all the games on the TVs. It will blow your mind with amazing barbecue. Hey everybody, welcome to the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. Before we jump into the show, I want to tell you about this really awesome deal for BSN listeners. If you didn't know by now, Total Beverage is delivering beer, wine, and liquor anywhere in the North Metro area from Wheat Ridge to Erie. For a limited time, Total Bev is offering $10 off a $50 purchase on their website and app. Use promo code BSN10 to save $10 off a $50 purchase for all your parties and have it delivered straight to your door. Let's jump into the show. Welcome into another episode of the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. I am AJ Hayfley alongside uh, Nathan Rudolph again today. We are here the morning after the season has concluded. Nathan, any uh, any Stanley Cup hangover for you? No, no hangover for me, but I think I probably sighed. Well, the Avs fan base seems pretty split over the fact that uh, St. Louis won this one. Jesus. So I, I sighed on the more happy side of that, I think. Uh, well, uh, we were going to lead into that, but since we're already in this room, let's just talk <laughs> about it. Yeah, uh, I, I'm honestly... Very happy for the Blues. I'm always the guy that, that roots for the team that doesn't have a cup yet. So so I'm happy there, and I'm happy for the man O'Reilly himself as well. He played great all playoffs long, and, and he deserves it. No bitterness there? No. I, you know, Buffalo's the team that traded him to St. Louis, so that's on their hands. <laughs> that was one of the stranger parts of last night was that the abs you remember it's it's now been four years yeah since the abs made that decision and moved on right it's it's not really that fresh in my mind for sure and yeah i'm more than happy with what we got back for him so his free agency that he would have left in uh was two years ago yep so he would have at least been gone for two years had they just kept him yeah it you know, it would certainly be an interesting game to play had they held on to him and what the team would look like. But at four years out now, it would be so different. Like you couldn't even get a realistic look on this team, I think. So that's a, another timeline, another world maybe. But in this one, just be happy for him. Right. Well, and, and all of the, oh, well, if you add O'Reilly onto this team, well, this team wouldn't have been put together. Right. No without Zidorov, those decisions, no like comfort. the, well, I mean, not even just the the return from sure. the O'Reilly deal. I mean, your Kale McCarr probably doesn't happen. Yeah. The Matt Duchesne deal probably doesn't go down the way that it does. Um, you're undoing all of these things, right? It's there's so much you'd have to backtrack on at this point that you'd be creating a whole new timeline. Like, right? Exactly. The world would be extremely different had they kept him the same way that the world would be extremely different had they not matched the offer sheet in the first place let him go to calgary watch them lose him on waivers to columbus and <laughs> then who knows where we are yeah a couple of extra picks in our bag that way too but again that didn't happen so 
I, I'm happy he found a place where he can be successful in, in his hockey game. Beyond that, he's a great player and, and he got his cup. So if he stays in the central division, we can start hating him now. Well, and I mean, not just got his cup, but got his con Smythe. So all the, uh, all the confirmation bias necessary just got transformed into on ice results last night. So, uh, you know, a guy that, was just okay in the playoffs for the first three rounds and then had an awesome cup final um, wins the con Smythe. And I think that's, there's nothing more appropriate than that having taken place in what was a really weird year altogether. Yeah, it's, I mean, they had about as weird a year as the Avs did, right? They, they were last place in the division on January 5th, I think it was. And, but, this is what I love about hockey. You get into the playoffs, you get a hot goalie. O'Reilly finds his feet in the final series and you win a cup. Anyone has a chance. Yeah, it's, it it was a strange year because we saw an all time great regular season out of Tampa Bay. We saw a a wildly competitive Eastern conference. We saw uh, the middle class of the Western conference cratered. Yeah. And then one of those teams that sort of slid into that middle class of the West ended up winning the Stanley Cup. We saw four wild card seeds beat all four division winners in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, it it was extra weird this year, right? I, hockey playoffs are always they always have that chaotic element to them. You always expect kind of one of the high seeds to go down, but to see them all go down is something else. It was, I mean, it was just a beginning to end, just a strange year. It was. You know, you remember early in the season, Buffalo had a 10-game winning streak and was at the top of the Eastern Conference. Yeah. Didn't even make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, that was the normal part. <laughs> right. But, yeah, they're, the Avs themselves had, had plenty of craziness, but just look at the getting into the playoffs with 90 points is well, like you said, it came crater. down to a, a battle between the avalanche and the Arizona coyotes. Yeah. <laughs> this was a weird year, man. <laughs> like this was a strange, I, I don't know now that it's over, you know, and now that we're going to start putting some distance between uh, this season and, you know, the rest of our lives. I think I think we might look back on this one and remember what a bizarre year it was. The team that finished last in the NHL didn't even have its own first round pick. Yeah, yeah. There's a an insane amount of craziness that that went into this year, and I definitely think it's going to stand out as an outlier. Uh, you just, I mean, look at St. Louis. How genius is whoever made the decision to hire Berube in St. Louis? Yeah, and, you know, you want to talk about one of your all-time great falling backwards into success decisions. Yeah. Your starting goaltender and your backup goaltender were so bad that you just shrugged it at one point and said, we'll go with our AHL guys. Yeah. <laughs> and it and worked pretty okay. Jordan Bennington wins a Stanley Cup for you. A fourth-string goaltender comes out of nowhere and wins a Stanley Cup for you. Let's let's get into that a little bit. Is Jordan Bennington the new Cam Ward? I mean, I don't want to put that on the guy, but I don't know how long he can keep up this type of play. <laughs> it's a it's going to be a tough situation for him because where do you go from here? <laughs> if you don't repeat a cup run, you're going to be worse. Well, we saw, you know, something similar with Pittsburgh and Matt Murray, where Matt Murray took over, uh, led them to a Stanley Cup as like a, he was like a baby. He was like 22 years old. And then, you know, and he had, he had like just a handful of games under his belt in the, in the NHL and then turned around and did it again. And then like split time with, uh, flurry regular season and postseason, and then they win the cup again and then he gets the job and suddenly it was like oh no maybe he's not a very good goalie yeah 
I think he ended up decent. You know, he battled some injuries and, and things yeah. like that. But he battled a lot of elements, and he actually ended up with a solid year this year. I wouldn't call him Cam Ward anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, and then Bennington, though. Like, Bennington, very similar to Cam Ward, just sort of coming yeah. out of nowhere. And, and I can't say that the, 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 the Cam Ward Hurricane Stanley Cup run is one that I remember vividly. I Certainly was, improbable, though. I was a little occupied with other things in my life at the time <laughs> um, that were not hockey, so it was it was kind of the back of my mind. But that was a Cam Ward had no NHL experience and hadn't been any good in the regular season, which I think is the big difference there. Uh, Bennington was awesome during the regular season. Cam Ward was an 882 goaltender and then rolled to a 920 save percentage on route to a Stanley Cup. That's the magic, man. Okie dokie. One position playing out of their mind can get you to a cup, basically. Yeah. Do you think, you know, Bennington, O'Reilly, Petrangelo, Con Smythe, did they get it right? Or was there was it heavy on the recency bias because O'Reilly did have a great cup final? Boy, I'm not saying O'Reilly doesn't deserve it because he did play great. But man, what Bennington did for that team. Yeah. It's just incredible. It's well, the stability that he brought yeah, back there. Yeah, exactly. It was a world of chaos on that back end. And now, I mean, comes out of nowhere and... Like this is a guy that hasn't been particularly prolific in the in his AHL career either. Like, yeah, he had is, not been dominant. He there wasn't anything to like indicate that this guy is our future starter or a future NHL player at all. Right, and and he comes in and and just has the hottest hot streak ever. And yeah. It. I mean, I I don't think the Blues win the Cup without O'Reilly, but I know they don't win it without Bennington. Right. Well, and without Petrangelo, I mean, the guy was a rock back there on their blue line. And I think that's, that sort of really drives home, you know, what a strange year it was Uh, for these guys. There aren't, there isn't really a clear cut. I didn't think there was an obvious con Smythe candidate. I felt like O'Reilly was going to get it because (laughs) I thought O'Reilly was going to get it because uh, he finished strong. And that recency bias is a big part of voting. It's a big part of human nature. And that's totally fine. You're not sitting around worrying about, Oh, well, what happened to him in in the second round? Why did he only have two points in that series or whatever it ended up being? I don't know how many it was, Um, but it was, you're not, you're not sitting there in the Stanley cup final watching this guy lead his team to a, to a championship and being like, well, by the second round, he was particularly ineffective. Like, okay, so what, man? They won. Yeah, right. It's, you're looking at his whole body of work, and then you remember that he basically single-handedly helped them get game-winning goals in the Stanley Cup final, and I totally see where him earning the con Smythe it comes up there. Yeah, and then uh, the F-bombs on live television. (laughs) Lots and lots and lots of those last night. Is society screwed for all time? Are we Uh, ever coming back from the devastation of multiple F-bombs on live TV? This is it. Pack it up. Was this this just another reminder that we as humanity have reached an all-time low? This is it's as low as it gets. O'Reilly won the Smythe and the Cup, and and you yeah. still can't swear on television. So that's it. We're done, boys. So Jordan Biddington is an RFA this summer. He sure is, and I Adding don't envy that. Really weird RFA market. <laughs> what do you do? I mean, he's twenty five years old. He could theoretically be your starting goaltender of the future. Of he could be your guy. Yeah, I I don't see how the Blues can't basically bend backwards to whatever his demand is right now. What if you're him and the Blues have a lot of work to do contract wise this summer? Um, they've got they've got a lot of guys signed. They've got a lot of money already spent, but some important guys that are up uh, that that they're gonna need to have conversations with. Jordan Bennington. I mean, if you're Jordan Bennington, what are you asking for? 
I'm asking in for Miko Koskinen's contract. <laughs> and you can't say no. Right, exactly. You can't say that's unfair given what Miko Koskinen did in, in Edmonton. You can't say that's unreasonable. Yeah, I mean, certainly I, I don't think Miko Koskinen has deserved anywhere near his contract. Oh, but, my God. But you look at like, Bennington. And, it was like 15 good games, and they were like, all right, we're going to give you a three-year deal. Yeah. Three oh my god, is the internet running the Oilers? Just insanity. I cannot believe that that contract got even offered. <laughs> but if I'm Bennington, I'm saying, no, I'm actually worth this. Yeah, it, uh, that's, I, I, without really putting any thought into it last night on Twitter, I said, I, I think a two year deal at three and a half million dollars is totally fair. Yeah, that's probably more. Gives him a reasonable. big raise, yeah. gives him a couple, gives him a, the security of a second year if he completely falls apart this year and, like, you know, the jig is up and it's like, oh, well, he's not an AHL goaltender, then <clears throat> he gets some security, uh, you know, I mean, he gets he gets $7 million out of the deal. Yeah, it's it's a little safer for the Blues. It's, it's the Andrew Hammond test, right? Yeah, was this just one absurd hot streak, or are you actually able to play goalie? <laughs> yeah, and you know it's it's the Andrew Hammond test with the added cost of he won you a Stanley Cup, not just like got you into the postseason, right? And that that jacks up the dollars a bit for sure. <laughs> sure, absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm using that. I'm picking that that contract range because that's kind of the standard goaltender of the future contract. You know, yeah. we saw we saw Grubauer get a three year deal at three point three. Yeah. With a hundred games under his belt. Um we've seen we've seen that contract a number of times where teams will trade for a guy's backup and make him their starter of the future and they kind of give him that in between deal. And right. I think that would be perfectly fair for Bennington, but I do I do think what a fascinating case because there's no historical precedent for it at all. You're working off of a totally blank slate where you have to try and conjure up what the value is uh, after a year in which had he played more games, he probably would have gotten serious Vesna consideration and serious Calder consideration and uh, had to have gotten serious con Smythe consideration given how it all played out. So yeah. all those things considered uh homeboy deserves a little bit of money. And now, now that I say all that, I'm like, I, if I'm him, I'm asking for $5 million. <laughs> all right. It's, it's such an incredibly tough position to gauge the value of already. There are contracts all over the board for goaltenders. And then you add in his situation of a guy who six months ago, if you weren't a hardcore blues fan, you probably barely knew who he was, if at all. Right. And now he's your future starter for you hope forever. Yeah. For at least five years. Yeah. So it can turn on a dime so quickly and, and it makes millions of dollars of difference for people in that position. It, Oh, it does. Like, like, like I said, I mean, this dude should have, he's going to get life changing money no matter what this summer, yeah. even if, even if he gets like the William Carlson, you know, one year deal where Carlson got paid, what, five and a half million this year. Yep. You know, that's, that's money that he could just put in the bank and be like, bloop. Had it. Yeah, right. Just in case he goes back to being a depth player. Now, he obviously did not do that, but we saw something similar last year with him where he goes from a fourth line guy to a 40, you know, a 40 goal scorer and leading a team to was, was the number one C on a, on the team that lost the Stanley cup final. And he took a, he took a lucrative one year deal with RFA years left and bet on himself. So, and you know, Jordan Bennington's also arbitration eligible, eligible. Who knows uh what the mediator might might say. Oh, you guys never win a cup without him. Why are you guys taking him to arbitration? <laughs> yeah, I if I'm a goalie, I think it's a little bit tougher to bet on myself at that position just because of how yeah. volatile it is. But Absolutely. So, I'd be looking for term for sure, but Hey, if Bennington thinks that he's really capable of playing like this all the time, more power to him. So they offer, say they offer two years, three and a half million, or one year, five million. Which one are you taking? Boy, probably the 
two years. Me too. I, I'd lead on the safe side there Se- for sure. Security and it's just more money. Yeah. Now, could you, if he bets on himself uh, in the one-year deal and he repeats his performance, then he's probably looking at a long-term deal upwards of $6 million. Yeah. It, if he bets on himself and succeeds, he's in the money he's he'll be making bank until he's 35 but if he bets on himself and he succeeds on the two-year deal he's still a great value for one extra year which gives him one more opportunity to fail i think that's an interesting situation it'll be it'll be fun to watch how it plays out it was a weird night last night uh abs fans went to war with one another yeah um i had a gentleman in my mentions i for some reason, Dater decided to take some random sideswipe at me. Like I was involved in the O'Reilly thing at all. <laughs> um, but you know, when you're when you're chasing ghosts, that's just what you do. You conjure up enemies. So I uh, I was like, okay, like what, whatever. Like just having a good time. Everybody's feeling good. It's the end of the season. And there was one dude who was like, oh, all these Abs fans are just so bitter. And, like, I clicked through his profile, and he spent, like, three hours last night tweeting at everybody who didn't agree with him how bitter they were. And I was just like, weird flex, guy. Like, <laughs> you're clearly an O'Reilly fan. Why not just enjoy this? Right. Just, That's... You're, your mans did it. <laughs> he proved everybody wrong. He led a team to a cup. Right. He won the con Smythe. Like, just enjoy this i that's where i'm at man even if you don't like who won it this is the pinnacle of our sport and it's a it's a moment that will be remembered in history so yeah just have fun with it yeah and remember these are all just games yeah it's at the end of the day you know it's all fun out there dying so straight up it's a good time to good good place there for us to end segment number one here on the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. We'll be right back to keep talking a little bit more about the regular season and uh, the postseason that was. Frosted Leaf is Denver's most innovative dispensary. What I like about Frosted Leaf would probably be their knowledgeable bud tenders, their online kiosk, their online ordering, and then just pick up at the store. And then they're always getting new genetics as well, so that's always cool. Like Edgar mentioned, Frosted Leaf gives you no lines, no weight, and a self-paced direct shopping experience that allows a fast yet comfortable transaction without the awkwardness of a waiting room. Not only does Frosted Leaf have the hottest strains, but they also offer a rewards program that will help towards your purchases. I would recommend Frosted Leaf to a friend, and I would tell them to look forward to different strains and to knowledgeable help. Check out Frosted Leaf's three Denver locations and download their app today. Welcome back in segment number two here, the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. (sighs) Nathan, this was a weird year. Yeah, you're not kidding for everyone. What are off the top of your head? Because the ones that first thing that pop into your mind are usually the ones that mean the most to you. Yeah. What are some of your memories from this season? Some of the things that you'll take away. Some of like, not like favorite plays or anything like that. Anything. Okay. Well, I, I do a lot of the streamables work, so I tend to remember highlight plays that end up being quite popular. And one of the plays that stuck in my mind was a play against the Predators where Sam Gerrard is on an odd man rush with Landis Gog and he gets extremely deep into the zone, like right in front of the crease. And he makes a little play where he holds onto the puck and everybody thinks he held onto it a second too long and then just flips it across the crease to Landis Gog for like a free tap in goal. And mm, in Nashville. Yeah. And I that made the game like four one or something, or maybe that mm-hmm. was a shutout and it was four nothing. And it was just the extreme high skilled play that makes me think fondly back to the the powerhouse Avalanche teams. And of course, McKinnon and and Rantanen were doing that type of stuff every other night. But but to yeah. see Sam Gerrard get in on that action was it was a fun time for me and. 
that was during a part of the year where the Avs were not doing so good. Uh, yeah, uh, that was actually uh, the trip that kind of started them turning it around. Right. That, that was the, uh, they went to Chicago and Nashville right before the trade deadline and walked into both buildings and they were hoping that they were going to get two points out of the possible four. They got four out of four and then came home and choked a point away to Florida. Yeah. <laughs> the day of the deadline when they gave up a third period lead and uh, ended up losing in overtime. Right. Yeah. It, a lot of points were left on the table this year for the abs for a lot of reasons. Yeah. That's one of the things I'll remember was a team so talented, uh, so top heavy that should have been an overtime buzzsaw. Yeah. Was a, I mean, just the total opposite. I mean, they were, they were a doormat for everybody else in overtime until yeah. the very, very end of the year. I mean, it was just a mess. It, it was like they've never played three on three before. <laughs> it, it was, it, and it was so frustrating to watch. They would invent new ways to screw it up. Yeah, it seemed you know, like- it it wasn't like the same thing. Like one night, Ranton is is changing. It was like a lazy change, and uh, you know, in the New Year's Eve game against the Kings, and Landeskog sees it and goes diving across center ice trying to stop the stretch pass, <laughs> and Dustin Brown breaks in on a you know comes in on a breakaway and and scores and wins the game, and it's just like you're you're frustrated, right? You're like, ah, come on, and. And and then they play three road games on a on a road trip out east against Washington and the Islanders and the Bruins, and they lose all three games in overtime. But they were super competitive in each of those overtimes, where you were like, oh, "They're never going to win again, even when things go well." You know, because yeah. the uh, the Caps overtime that started it, they instead of losing in the first minute, they they lost later on. Yeah, it was it was super strange. After like a certain number of losses, they kind of freaked out and started playing almost too passive. Well, and 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 then Bedner had no choice but to try stuff. Yeah, he had to so start- he's like like Tyson Berry sits for an entire overtime. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and they're just trying things out. And Nikita Zadorov goes out there and you're like, Oh my God, is Nikita Zadorov the greatest overtime player that we've ever seen? <laughs> because he was just competent. All he had to do was just not make a mistake. And he went out there in overtime and was like, well, yeah, I got this. This is totally fine. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was just such a strange thing. You, you would see Zadorov play well, and then EJ would try and break it out all by himself and try and do everything himself while his forwards change, and then there would be no one on the ice. Right, and then you're like, well, what are you guys doing? It was it was just such a strange, and like you knew, you know, there were people who were like, at some point this is on Jared Bednar, and it's like, go back and watch the games and tell me which part is on the coach here. <laughs> Unless, like, uh, is the coach the one, the brains. Like, like telling them like you need to change right now and make sure that you leave your team your team high and dry in this situation like you want to get on the coaching staff for for something that that happened all year long that was totally within their control the too many men on the ice yeah what in the world and then i mean culminating in the winnipeg game you're just trying to get to overtime you're tied 121 left in the third, and you take a too many men on the ice penalty? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I think- and Patrick Line hits the post yeah. like 20 seconds into that power play for the Jets, and all hell breaks loose in that power play. Uh, and Matt Calvert takes a blocks a shot with the with the the man pills with right after the buzzer. at an altitude. Yeah, <laughs> his third arm. Yeah, and has to, you know, got his rig x-rayed post-game. Yeah, it's just, they made it so hard on themselves. It was, it's funny because overall I have such fond memories of the season, but then I start to think about, like, these micro things. And how frustrating it really was. (laughs) Yeah, like the the Winnipeg-Calgary back-to-back. Yeah, 
where they went into Winnipeg and you're like, they're going to lose both of these games. Yep. <laughs> they, they haven't won in either one of these places. They always play like garbage in both cities. And then they go in there and they waffle stomp both of them into the ground and neither goalie could make a damn stop. And they give up 12 goals in two nights. Yep. And it didn't, and they lose both games, but they should have <laughs> easily won easily should have won those games. You throw in that Vancouver game that they ended up losing seven to six in overtime too. Seven to six. The first ever uh, BSN avalanche watch party was that night. <laughs> Wild time. That was a, that was that game. Well, and I remember talking to Kerfoot after, cause you remember Kerfoot had that sweet move where he deked out the defenseman yep. split the D and then scored on that breakaway. Uh, I remember talking to him when they got back into town a couple days later. And I was like, I was like, oh, man, we we had a watch party that, like, melted down on that move. <laughs> like, it was like, it was like Chernobyl in there. <laughs> like, Abs fans, Abs, it was, it, they went ballistic when he scored that goal. Because everybody, you know, everybody kind of has their feeling about Kerfoot. And then so for him to do something that was so sick and then actually finish it off was just like... Oh my god. Yeah, it it's uh it's crazy to think that guy actually scored 15 goals this year. <laughs> yeah, well, and and was a 40-point guy again. Yeah. Like and I understand the the postseason 1.12 games, that's a huge issue. Like no yeah. argument, especially given that he played in the top 6 the entire time. And it sure felt like he may never score a goal again, but <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I I remember at morning skate and I tweeted this out. I was at morning skate uh, in, I don't remember which game it was, but it was in the San Jose series. It was either game three or four. And they were working on power play work and they'd made a great cross ice feed. Kerfoot got all of it on the one timer and Varley just went side to side and just robbed him with the glove. (laughs) And I mean, it was nasty. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, oh, sh- this is not great because Kerfoot just looked up into the, he looked up to the, to the top of the building and he just shouted, oh my God. <laughs> Can't even get one in practice. Yeah, exactly. And then he would put his stick on, you know, two handed over on, on top of his helmet yep. and just grit his teeth. And you were just like, oh, this guy is feeling it right now. <laughs> it was it was just one of those things, man, that I, one of those, one of those memories that I will probably take with me when I look back on, uh, when I look back on this season, it's, it's always small stuff like that. Yeah. When, when things go to that far of an extreme, something's got to give, right? Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, it was Landis Gug's foot being a quarter inch off in game seven, but <sighs> <laughs> And, you know, of all the stuff that I've thought about, about the Av season since it ended and, um, you know, at BSN, we have not done any of our pre our postseason like player report cards and stuff like that. I turned my attention to the draft immediately because we had six weeks cut off from draft coverage. Yep. And this is like one of the most important drafts in Av's history. Uh, so I, I decided to put off. Uh, like player report cards and postseason stuff till after the draft festivities are over and give us something to talk about in July and August. But I, I have not thought almost at all uh, about of all the things that I, that I think about, I have not thought almost at all about Landis Cog and the offside call. I just, for me, it just, it is what it is. Um, it, that was the decision that they made and it sucks. Uh, but the abs had their opportunities. It, it, that was not the end of the game. Yeah. It certainly made it a, a more difficult uphill battle. No doubt about that, but they had, they had some opportunities and they just couldn't quite, uh, couldn't quite finish it off. And for me mentally, I just, you just shrug, you know, that's life sometimes. And you got to get on with getting on. And uh, for me, I did that almost immediately. I I don't hold any, I don't, I don't harbor any of that anger. I don't, um, 
it, for me, it's not productive. I don't, I don't get anything out of it, so I don't worry about it. Just I, I my personal, how I view it, it. It's something you have to bring up if, if you're taking a look back at the Ev season because it, it did matter. Yeah, absolutely. That's but totally fair. You can't, you can't tell the story of the Ev season without the Landis Gog offside call. But it, it's certainly not the end all be all that a lot of people seem to make it. Like you said, that game was not over at that point. The Evs could have very easily still won that game without that goal. And it didn't break that way. And that's unfortunate. But at the end of the day, even if you think it's a call that, that went against the Avs, you know, what comes around goes around and, and, and they'll get it back at some point. It, it, yeah. You know, maybe they will. Maybe they, I don't, I don't know. I, for me, it's done. Right. Um, you got a whole off season now to try and get better, try and improve your roster and put yourself in a better position to, uh, to be on home ice in that game and not have to go into San Jose and do it in game seven. Uh, that should yeah. be their goal next year. That should be what they take away from that San game. Jose, please. <laughs> uh, yeah. Win. just win, win the central. Right. Make it easy on us. So just win the central and be done. And, you know, that, that way you don't have to worry about one. You don't have to worry about crossing over and dealing with any of the Pacific division teams. And uh, two, you home ice. Yeah. I, I feel for our, our East coast abs fans for sure, because <sighs> Having, I guess for them, that would be 10 30 starts throughout most of the playoffs. That's just brutal. Yeah. I, even, even for me, I was like, this is too much. <laughs> so back to the central division where we can start at a regular time. Yeah. I, what a, <laughs> that'll be my final point before we go into uh, another break here. I thought this was a down year for the central. Yeah. It certainly was, wasn't it? <laughs> 90 points getting into the playoffs is not what anyone imagined, I don't think. Yeah, it, down here for the Central, and yet they put five of the eight playoff teams yeah. in out West uh, again. Yeah. And and then, and then, uh, only one of those, you know, it, it took seven games for San Jose to take Colorado out in, uh, in, in the postseason. And then they got dispatched relatively easily by St. Louis, which was a huge surprise to me. Yeah, it, uh, you know, St. Louis really had had the special mojo for sure. Uh, on the Avs front, I think having decompressed the season, we can safely say that they are not supposed to be a 90 point team. If yeah. they don't just not have goaltending for two months. They yeah. probably make the playoffs pretty easily. So they played at a 40 point pace. Yeah. <laughs> for like two months of the season. So yeah, for, I think it was 28 games, yeah. 28 or 29 games. I don't, I don't exactly remember. So like a third of the season, they were yeah. just the worst team in the league. <laughs> and beyond, but beyond that, they played at 113 point pace outside of those outside of that bad stretch in the middle yeah. of the year. And so they're probably realistically somewhere in between those two, but they, the team they were when a goaltender decided to exist in the net was, was pretty clearly, at least to me, a playoff team. It was a damn good team. They were hard to beat when they were getting just solid goaltending. It didn't have to be spectacular. If they got spectacular goaltending, they basically did not lose. Yeah. It, you know, this team had its flaws, it had its issues depending oh, yeah. on time of year with goal scoring and defense. But when they got goaltending, they were rarely ever out of a game. Yeah, it was an in, it was an interesting year, man. It was I'm I'm going to remember this one for a long time for a lot of reasons. <laughs> Fair. Uh let's go take our second break. We will uh, reset, come back on the other side, and continue running down the season that was as uh, we say goodbye to the 2018-2019 NHL season and beginning tomorrow, full steam ahead on the offseason. So don't go anywhere. It's the BSN Avalanche Podcast presented by Total Beverage. We'll be right back. 
Are you thinking about selling your house, but it's not in tip-top condition? How do you ensure you'll maximize your profit? If your house is in need of an upgrade, Houselift can assist in eliminating all the stress of the remodeling process while matching the current trends that buyers most desire. And get this, there are zero upfront costs from you, the homeowner. That's right, you won't pay for any of the upfront costs for the remodel until your house closes. Houselift will handle everything, from the contractors to the design, while managing these costs. Here's what you need to do. Head to their website or Facebook page, both at houselift.colorado.com, and check out the incredible remodels Houselift has done for homeowners here in the metro area. In past jobs, Houselift has put anywhere from 15 to 60K more in their clients' pockets. Call 303-885-7888 today and find out what Houselift can do for you. Oh yeah, if you hire one of Houselift's preferred realtors, they will sell your home without charging a listing commission. Welcome in third and final segment here, the BSN Avalanche podcast presented by Total Beverage. The season is over. The Blues stand atop the NHL. Theoretically standing atop the Central Division as well, even though the Nashville Predators have won it two seasons in a row. Let's dive into the Central Division here as we head into the offseason and kind of take stock. Who's rising and who's falling in your eyes of these seven teams? Honestly, for the most part, I think it's a ripe for the taking. Nashville, starting at the top this year, feels like a team that is over the hump. They couldn't get it done. It's it, Nothing's going to get any easier for them. Rene, it seems like their, their key problem is Rene can't do it for them in the playoffs, and he's not getting any younger. They've hurt themselves significantly with assets by trading for guys like Brian Boyle and, and others we've talked about that Poyle hasn't made the great greatest moves at the deadline. So I think their clock is running out. It might not be all the way out yet. They should still be a playoff team pretty easily, but but they're not trending up towards a cup like they were. I but I don't I don't think they're going anywhere. Yeah. You know, barring major changes, which I do think are possible because I think I do think Poyle's looking at his team and saying this ain't okay, it. we've tried to win with our, you know, three of our four top five players, um, our defensemen, and it's not working. Yeah. And so I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to make uh, a move kind of like what the Avs would try to do with Barry, where they're going to try to trade a defenseman straight up for a forward and kind of rebalance their roster a little bit. And it wouldn't be the first time they've done that either. Yeah, no, I mean, Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson did not pan out the way that they wanted to. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in this position. Yeah, exactly. It's You only get so many kicks in the can and kicks at the can, rather. And it feels like this might be it for Nashville. Yeah, I think they need to do something drastic. Otherwise, they're going to kind of hang around as that team that is good enough to make the playoffs this year but is going to need something real special, real different in order to get over the hump. Uh, it's going to, it would take guys going to a totally different level. Um, and so far they just, they just have not shown that ability so far. So uh, I do think that they, they could be, they could use a major change or two, you know, maybe a PK Subban deal, maybe, uh, you know, Roman Yossi is headed to free agency. Uh, he's, or I should say he's unsigned beyond this next season, um, scheduled for free agency next summer. So maybe that's a guy that they look to move or, you know, certainly they'd love to resign, but yep. who knows? We've heard them connected to Matt Duchesne a lot. Well, if that's the case, they're going to have to move some serious money yeah. around in order to make that happen. <laughs> they have to right now, they just don't have the cash. Right. It's. They're pretty they're pretty hard up if, if they want to keep everyone they currently have, but it does seem like the easy contract to, to free up the most space is Subban and, and maybe we can see them look to find their way out of that, but depends on, on what else is coming back. Yeah, it would uh it's gotta be significant. Yeah. Um Winnipeg. 
Yeah, Winnipeg is actually Jets. one of the the most interesting ones in the in the division to me. One they of the most were, volatile. Yeah, they were a team that looked like they were heading into a cup window two years ago. Mm-hmm. They came in, they made moves at the deadline to push for it this year, and they got bounced early. And now they have seven forwards currently signed on their roster, I think. Well, I mean, not only did they get bounced early, but they had a disastrous uh, final two months of the season. Yeah. It, they it were running away out. with the Central Division, and they coughed it up. Yeah, it they've they've put themselves in a situation where it's going to be hard for them to do a ton of stuff too. To to make significant changes to the lineup is going to be hard with Wheeler, Shifley, Bufflin, uh, mm-hmm. and then you're paying Hellebuck six million a year too. So they have a lot of their core pieces set now, and and they need to find a way to make it work. Yeah, I think that the Jacob Truba thing looms. Yeah, it does. And it kind of hangs over the entire organization that until they get resolution on that situation, it's going to be hard for them to take a strong direction move moving forward on anything else until they know, are they going to have Jacob Truba or are they going to move Jacob Truba? Are they going to, are they going to break up the old uh, core, uh, the, the older core of Dustin Bufflin and Blake Wheeler? Uh, they gonna are they gonna move on from the older guys and turn the room over to some of the younger kids? Can they find a sucker to take Brian Little's contract off their hands? <laughs> you know, because Brian Little's thirty one years old, has five years remaining on uh, on a deal that's gonna pay him five point almost five point three million per year, and he's coming off of typical back to you know forty point years uh, that that he's good for every year. Yep. But that's $5 million that they, a, a team that doesn't have tons of money needs to spend very wisely. And right now the, the return that they're getting from little on that investment is not ideal. And you expect it to just get worse uh, as time goes on because of his age. Yeah. And they have like 25 million in cap space or something, but 10 plus of that is going to line a, well, they've got line a and Kyle Connor. Yeah. So it, they have a lot of work to do this offseason to to make it all fit, and, and I don't know that it can. They are certainly in a precarious position. Um, some of their key role players, I guess. Uh, Brandon Tanev's turned himself into a solid guy. Uh, is a UFA this year. You know, Andrew Kopp is going to be looking for a a meaningful raise after a couple of 20-point seasons. They've got a million guys on the back end that they have to make decisions on. They're still, for some reason, paying Dmitry Kulikov and are staring down the barrel of losing Tyler Myers in free agency. There's, There's the realistic possibility that this summer they watch Jacob Truba and Tyler Myers walk out that door. And may not, maybe they don't get NHL uh, talent in return for whatever they get in the Truba deal. Maybe it's a futures deal, but that defense is, is could be in line for a major step back, even with both guys having their flaws as players, uh, not being like dominant stars or anything, but those are quality NHL players. And oh boy, that is, that's a lot of talent to lose. It is. It's they're in the situation that we've been talking about with the Avs where eventually you need ELC talent to come in and fill out your roster. And that's what they need. The line a and Connor having to sign their next deals. That's there's no longer contract value there. As far as you're paying them what they're worth. And where is that next wave of ELCs for them? I'm, I'm not sure they have the talent in their system to maintain and hold station here. Yeah, I think between uh, Christian Veselainen, Mason Appleton, and uh, Jack Roslovic, they've got guys that could elevate to those positions. And Roslovic is a guy that they need to give more opportunity to anyway because he's already expressed his his unhappiness with his role there. Um, I think they should strongly consider moving on from Bufflin and Wheeler and – and turning over that that older core of guys, you know, that have been there for a long time, Perot and, and Brian Little as well. And if they if they can 
kind of re reset their core on the fly without having to give up the, you know, a Josh Morrissey, a Jacob Truber, a Mark, uh, Mark Shifley, Patrick Lyon, a Kyle Connor, those guys, then I think there's enough talent on hand. They should, they should definitely continue to be a playoff team as they kind of retool. But I think we've seen the max of this group and now they're going to get really expensive. Um, I just don't, I, I think they need to, they need an identity shift and they need to move some of their money around and maybe take a step back for a year or two in order to take four steps forward down yeah, the road. I, I think that's fair. Wheeler's contract definitely looks like it could end up being an anchor for them. Yeah. I mean, 8.25 million for a guy that's 32 years old is a lot of money, but He's coming off back-to-back 91-point seasons. I mean, he's absolutely worth every dime right now, but that contract takes him till he's 37. Yeah. That's that's a little rough. That's, I mean, you're banking banking really big money on Wheeler and and Dustin Bufflin's making 7.6 million at age 34. Yeah. So you're talking about the two top teams in the Central Division the last couple of years that everybody's been afraid of are on shaky ground and Winnipeg sure. certainly the shakiest of that ground. Um, yep. If they were going to move on from one of their older guys, I think they need to target Bufflin before Wheeler just because of the health issues. And he but should be easier to move with two shorter years. contracts yeah. and health issues. Uh, you may not get as much for Bufflin as you're thinking. And, you know, Wheeler might give you the, the more robust return because he's the better player today. So how do you balance that? You know, especially with, a couple of guys who have become legends for that franchise and you know Bufflin's been around since they moved from Atlanta. Yep. So he's he's lived through everything up there. That it would be tough to move on from some of those guys, I think. It would be, but but sometimes the the hard pill is the best pill. And if you don't do it now, you're you're going to have to pay eventually. So maybe it's time for them, maybe they try and hang on, but either way I hope uh, I hope the shakiness continues for the Ab's sake. Elsewhere, St. Louis, uh, we've talked about quite a bit on the show already. Do you see them ascending or descending next year? I mean, I mean obviously, I, I don't know how they going, can ascend. <laughs> we're going into the postseason or, or into the uh, the summer, so we don't know what teams have do- are going to do. We don't know how different they look like. Uh, but for me, I feel like St. Louis is one of those teams that everything has gone right for them. Every, every break kind of went their way. We mentioned it earlier. A fourth string goaltender came out of the woodwork and won them a Stanley cup. It's going to be real. It's going to be real hard for them to repeat that good fortune. Yeah. I, I don't see that they can repeat that unless this really is who Jordan Bennington is. That would be the only thing that, that I would see allowing them to, to repeat this kind of run for them. And, and even then, Boy, it's tough. How much of an effect is Berube going to have? Is is he really that good of a coach, or was it just anything that's not Mike Yo getting in there and energizing them? And and I, Jordan Bennington, I yeah. think is he's the key to the whole thing. Yeah, I, I agree. He's what keeps that whole thing together. Like that's a good forward core. It's an okay defense, uh, and then they got incredible goaltending to go along with that, and formula worked out pretty nicely for them uh a similar formula that they honestly was being used by the stars this year in a 93 point year one line on offense phenomenal defensive team uh great goaltending how do you make that team better especially given the cap restraints that they also face because they walk into the offseason with just 12 million dollars in cap space yeah, the their biggest problem is, is facing the cap and the fact that they already have a, a forward core that, that's pretty set for next year. They've got 12 forwards signed for just over $46 million and five defensemen currently signed for $14.8 million. Two goalies signed for $7.4 million. So very, very forward heavy on contracts, on the lineup, everything. Yeah, Um it- that's also where they're going to have to figure out where to get the most help because their forward group is very not great. Right. It's they desperately need forward depth beyond their, their big line. 
and they're still paying Hansel for another year. They have Cogliano for two years. They have Nachushkin for another year, which is just brutal. Yeah, Valerie Nachushkin, by the way, uh, an all-time line this year. 57 games played, zero goals scored. Yeah, it, it was brutal. And and they've set themselves up with, with guys like Blake Como, who very solid third-line player, but... Is he a third liner on, on a cup winning team? I'm not sure. Well, and you're asking Blake Como, you know, to repeat. Right. And he did He's not. He's now getting into his mid thirties. His first year in Dallas, you know, his years in Colorado, even, even the disastrous 16, 17 season, he had a 20 point year, yep. but in Colorado, 36 points, 20 points, 34 points. He gets to Dallas and he drops all the way down to 18 points. Yeah. They, and that may be a product of the fact that they just don't have enough players with enough talent to surround him with down in their yeah. depth. But I, that's I think a problem they have to fix. I, I think that it's it's both chicken and the egg. You know, I think it's both his own uh, deterioration because I watched him play and I was like, ooh, this is not the same guy. Yeah. But I also think that it's a different team with different goals and a different style of play that, that does not in, encourage as much uh, offense as what what is allowed and pushed in Colorado. Yeah. I, so I think they need forward help like crazy because um yeah. Rupe Hints is a great find for them. They need they more have, than just him. Right. And they I mean yeah, their their defense is pretty locked up. You can say what you want about the Lindell contract, but they have him for the next six years. They have Klingberg for the next three. Mm-hmm. They have Haskinen for the next two on a super cheap contract. On his ELC, yeah. Yeah, and so so they they kind of have the pieces in place on defense. The, the problem is, unless they can work some trade magic, this kind of might end up being an interim year where they're just waiting for guys like Hansel to come off the books to give yeah. them room to do things. They could get aggressive and try and buy some of these deals out and move on. Um I don't know that I would encourage that, but you never know. We could we could see them get aggressive and say, "Yeah, we're just you know we're going for it. We're gonna yeah. if they want to try and do it on Haskin and ZLC, maybe." Yeah, because that's gonna be a big raise when it comes time. Yep, that's fair. Uh, Colorado team on the rise. Fair to say. I would say so. I mean, okay. We kind of already talked about how they really should be a better team in the standings than they were this year, as long as their goaltending doesn't explode. Chicago team on the rise, team stuck in the middle. A, a little of both, but when teams keep giving them Dylan Stroms for free, basically, it's easy to pull yourself out of that. Um, I, I guess they will have a goaltending question you know a lot of their year was can we get Corey Crawford back and healthy and Crawford only has one year left on his deal now and is 34 so yeah well and that defense has got some issues it it does have issues but I don't see them being able to do much about it right now yeah I mean Jake Gardner right we talked about that yesterday yeah Uh, that could be a thing but Long term, they need the, the the draft capital that they've invested in the position to really pay off for them. Right, uh, Minnesota. We can. I think everybody agrees right now they're they're sinking and that they should be the opening f- season favorites to finish last. Yeah, I would say it shouldn't even be that close based on the moves already made there, and it sounds like they're trying to do more. So. I think they're probably the only team that I would project out of the central to finish with under 80 points next season. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's boring, the crazy stuff like injuries and, you know, things that we can't, you can't predict. Yeah. Uh, the, the central and its previous iterations has, has always kind of been the Thunderdome, right? Even in a down year like this, like we said, they still got five teams into the playoffs. Yeah. So you just never know. This division can do silly things sometimes, but it's really hard for me to see Minnesota doing much. Yeah, and while it's not as top-heavy as some of these others, you know, you don't have, uh, you know, out east you had, 
Montreal as a 96 point team missed the postseason. Yeah. But after that, after it falls off quick. <laughs> yeah. After 96, the, the next closest is 86 and then 82. And then you're way into the 70s and below. Um, the entire Western Conference had two teams under 80 points last year. Just that's just it. Just two. Yeah, it, you you felt it this year. At, down the stretch, everybody was still in it. It felt like. Yeah. No, Edmonton finished with seventy nine points. Like yeah, <laughs> these teams that are picking in the top ten this year, they're not. There's only a couple of teams that are bad teams. You know, Buffalo and Detroit are are in Ottawa are bad teams. Ottawa's not picking in the top ten because the universe is cruel and unfair. Such as. <laughs> But you look at the other some of these other teams, you know, LA and Edmonton, and I mean these are these are teams with upside that you can buy into for some reason. Yeah, I, I think so for sure. It, it, there's there's plenty of of quality talent out there, and and each team had their problems. New Jersey couldn't get Corey Schneider to make a save for half the season. Jeez, that was a real story, man. Um, out west. San Jose, I think, has the potential to fall just because their rosters, there's so much up yeah. in the air about their roster. They have a lot of work to do. <laughs> I think Calgary comes back more or less largely the same. Uh, Vegas, the same thing. Arizona, I think, is going to have room and opportunity to be uh, a little more aggressive than we've seen from them. Yeah. Uh, I think Vancouver is going to try to go balls to the wall and, and get involved in, in anything they can. Uh, Anaheim exists Edmonton and LA you know they have a long way to go to to convince anybody that they're gonna be for real next year future for for California hockey might not be the brightest right now yeah so it'll it'll be interesting to see what the Pacific can muster besides Calgary and Vegas I guess there is quite a bit of room for an Arizona or a Vancouver to jump up there there is, and you know Arizona had crazy bad injury luck. Yeah, uh, some of that was balanced out by the fact that they got fifty-five games of of high-level goaltending from Darcy Kemper. <laughs> so it's like even if they get uh, Auntie Ranta back next year, he's got a lot to live up to to keep to keep them in at you know keep that pace that was set last year by Kemper. That that was really the only reason they even got close to the postseason. Yeah, uh, that's totally a a fair argument too i think they were a super weird team overall they their scoring was like super evenly spread out throughout the lineup they didn't really have anyone that stood out as as the superstar carrying the team at least for offense which is good in that you've got a lot of guys that can contribute and it's bad because you don't have anyone you can go to yeah, in the chip when now. you have that big moment. Are you yeah. turning to Nick Schmaltz and Christian Dvorak and saying, please, for the love <laughs> of all that is holy, go do something good right now? <laughs> yeah, that's it's definitely a, an interesting situation, but one that you can build success out of with the with the right pieces. Yeah, boy. And then they, I mean, you can get into the whole Chica conversation from there, but <laughs> yeah, something we might do this summer. Yeah. Looking at the central as a whole, it's going to be a really fun summer because there's a lot of change possible and Colorado could definitely shoot up these rankings. Uh, and, and they I already expect have, according the, to the cup yeah. full expectation is that these guys are division contenders going into next season. Anything less uh, than a serious, Central Division title contention would be some grade of a disappointment. If somebody runs away with it and has a 116-point season and the Avs have a 108-point season, they're not really in contention to win their division, but they had a great season. I'm not going to get upset about that. Yeah, certainly. It's but there, there needs to be – they need to have – Expectations are there. It needs to be near a 100-point season for them. This, I, I would agree. I mean, Without the- making any changes. The whatever, the way too early cup odds or whatever came out the second that they won the Blues won the cup and the Avs were like one in ten or something. So that's top five in the league. Yep. So it it's really time. Yeah, we're almost there. 
<sighs> Almost there. <laughs> we are a week away from the draft now. Uh, well, we are eight days away from the draft as of today. Uh, we will have Judge GM Day tomorrow. If you have not gotten your submissions in, do that today. Do not send them to me at 3 o'clock in the morning. I will, out of spite, delete it without reading it. You have had a week to do this. Get these in before midnight tonight, just for my own peace of mind, please. <laughs> uh, bsnavalanche at gmail.com is the email address to send them. Do not send them to my personal one. If you do, I will just forward it to the correct one, but it will annoy me. So, in the spirit of making this fun and as not frustrating as possible, get crazy. Uh, Rudo, I believe you and I are going to be presenting our summer plans tomorrow as well, uh, for judgment from our listeners. So that's awesome. Should be a good time. Uh, if you have not gotten involved in that, make sure to get your submission in, uh, send it to the right address, do all the things correct, increase your chances of getting yours read on the show. Got some great ones, uh, pulled already. Some crazy ones, some that have broken the rules, and I've had to reach out to people and let them know. Uh, you cannot offer sheet multiple people like that and have picks taken from the 2021 pool. That is not allowed. Uh, also, a couple of submissions have gone over the salary cap again. Also not allowed. You guys have to stay within the confines of the cap. I think that does it. Any, uh, any final thoughts that I miss anything? I think we, I think we pretty much covered it. Just, I know it's still a couple months away, but the excitement for next year for this team is already starting to build, and and I can't wait. Yeah, and it it really kicks off um, next week with uh, with the draft, with the you know finding out who they're going to pick and uh, who's going to be part of the future, and using up all the all the picks that they accumulated, the five in the top three rounds that they're excited to use, uh, and that doesn't even touch next year's roster. So that's, that's the first part of being excited about the future. But then after that, you know, we'll have dev camp, get to see these guys on the ice right away. And then free agency will show up and uh, big trades might get made. Big signings are potential, you know, are, are possible down the road. It's going to be a really fun couple of weeks for us. This is a BSN avalanche podcast presented by total beverage. Looking forward to spending it uh, with you guys. As for today, we are out. We will see you tomorrow. Judge a GM day. Looking forward to it. The Colorado Golf Association is dedicated to preserving, improving, and serving the game of golf here in Colorado. And right now they're conducting their annual Dream Golf Vacation Raffle. Ed May, Executive Director of the Colorado Golf Association, gave us some more info on what exactly you can win if you enter. We had six grand prizes this year and 40 plus other prizes. So the, the big ticket items, so to speak, or the grand prizes are a trip to the BMW Championship, including VIP access, thanks to our partnership with BMW. Uh, we have trip to Streamsong, we have a trip to Bandon Dunes, we have a trip to Sand Valley, and then we have what I think might be the coolest, a chance to take an, uh, a 7 Series BMW down to Telluride to play in a CGA-only event. The raffle tickets will go on sale on our website, coloradogolf.org. Tickets are $40, and you know all the proceeds from the raffle are going to support youth development in the state of Colorado. So you're making a great donation to a great cause, but you're also having a chance to uh, really have a fantastic dream golf vacation. For a chance to win, be sure to go to coloradogolfassociation.org.